Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce we are going to be doing a giveaway. What this is going to be is a two-man, two-day guided waterfowl hunt on November 18th and 19th in Northeast Kansas with Steady Wing Outfitters. In order to be signed up for the drawing, there's four things I need you to do. You need to go on to Instagram and follow the Steady Wing Outfitters Instagram page. You have to follow the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. In that Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page, I'm going to be making a post about the giveaway. In that post, I need you to tag three friends in it, and then you have to subscribe to the podcast. Once you've done all four of those things, follow the two Instagram pages, subscribe to the podcast, and tag your three friends. I need you to screenshot all four of those things and send them in a message to me on the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. Once you've done that, I'll enter you into the drawing. Uh, the drawing will go until the last day of February. Then on March 1st, I will draw the winner. And then on March 2nd, in that episode, I will announce who the winner is. So good luck. Tell your friends. Get as many people as you can signed up. The more people you have signed up, the better options you have that one of your buddies is going to win it and invite you along. Good luck. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsors. Uh, first, we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Uh, go on there and check it out. You can trade hunts with people from across the country. Uh, there's a good duck hunting forum on there. You can buy some merchandise. Uh, there's also the Salty Fowl line of clothing on there where 100% of the profits go to the conservation of eiders. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. It's located in northeast Kansas, and they're guiding for waterfowl, turkey, and deer. Uh, follow them on Instagram and Facebook, and if you want to book a hunt, you can call Mikey Soberano. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. That's Caleb and the guys making hunting and fishing videos on YouTube. Uh, you can check them out there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. They also have a website. It is the numbers 701pursuit.com. Go on there and buy some clothes, hat shirts, stuff like that. Now we've got Waylon Johnson and his guide service, uh, hunting ducks and geese down in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. It's Waylon Johnson on there. Or you can give him a call. His number is 361 Four nine four seven eight six eight. Lastly, we have Highline Retrievers uh, dog training up in Northeast Montana. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. It's H I L I N E Retrievers. You can also uh, give me a call. My number is four zero six seven eight three seven zero eight three. If you have any questions on training, need any advice, any help, or if you want to set up some training in the future for your four-legged friend. Uh, thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Well, Covey took wing, shotgun singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And then he got three and looked back grinning. I fumbled around and I tried to reload. All right, welcome to the Wicked Hunting Report. This is Garrett. Today I'm with Heidi Swanger. She's in Eastern Pennsylvania, and she's a hunter and a photographer. So Heidi, why don't you introduce yourself? 
Yeah. So my name is Heidi, uh, like you said, Eastern Pennsylvania. Um, been hunting probably now for about close to like 10 years. I didn't grow up hunting. My godfather did it, but my parents weren't really involved. So I didn't really start anything like that until I met my husband. Uh, he was big, hunted his whole entire life. Um, then he started take, taking me along. Um, at first, I didn't hunt. I just kind of watched and took my camera and photographed some waterfowl stuff. And then I kind of got left out. So then I wanted to be included into the action. So I started actually hunting then. And now we have a six-year-old who now starts coming with on, on all of our waterfowl adventures, but we'll do some hunting in Eastern Pennsylvania for waterfowl, deer. Uh, we go up to New York for divers and sea ducks and things like that. Um, we went out to Colorado once for, for elk, but other than that, we kind of just hang around PA, travel to New York just because it's pretty close. We can get some, get on some different birds and things like that just because of where the limits are at and everything with Pennsylvania. So we like to travel and kind of get a variety of birds because we're in a one goose limit where we're at in PA. So we kind of just expand and go up there to get some, some different stuff, but yeah, it's a little bit about me. Um, photography wise, I've always been doing photography. That's something I've been involved in ever since I was in high school. I picked up a camera and kind of fell in love with it. Went to school for photography. So I have my degree in photography. Uh, I work full time for a real estate photography company. So I don't shoot the pictures. I just manage all of the photographers that do. Um, but basically everywhere I go, I have my camera in tow and the guys are very gracious when I take it out in the field and I'm snapping photos and uh, making them hold ducks certain ways or do things slightly slower so I can snap a shot here and there. But uh, yeah, so I pretty much love documenting life. And now, like I said, that we have a little one, it's it's really fun to be able to capture all those moments and have those for her to look back on because that's something, you know our generation doesn't really have that much of we have the film photos but not so much you know if your parents even took that so uh, I'm excited that she'll be able to have those memories as she gets older yeah a lot of my film photos I'm sure there's a pile of them but I haven't seen a lot of them I know my mom still got rolls of films she hasn't even developed yet from back then Mm -hmm. so yeah you know and obviously the quality has significantly increased in what photos are capable of. So um, I'm, I'm excited to give her that kind of stuff versus, you know, some old little <laughs> four by six or three by five that is properly, you know, not properly exposed or anything like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> You're saying the teenagers in the back of Walmart weren't doing the best job developing those pictures? or what? I mean, I don't think they still do. Um, let's, <laughs> uh, let's just put it that way. Um I mean, all great things to the Walmart employees because I would never want to work there and have to deal with any of that. But I know sometimes like I'll try to just go and get a couple quick prints done of something. And, you know, I even like the digital stuff, like I see lines because, you know, the printers aren't calibrated or they're like ink jets are clogged. I'm like, hey, sorry to be a pain, but like, can uh, we we maintenance this a little bit? Because like, I don't want to pay for something if it has lines through it. So if I wanted to, to look like film, I would have shot it on film. <laughs> so, I know. I feel like one of those uh, really like OCD people sometimes, and I'm sure they probably don't like me, but 
ultimately if you're paying for something like I, yeah. I don't want to have it have stuff food. but that's on rare occasions normally I just um get like photo albums and books created um I have like a couple websites and things like that that I use that have a great great print quality and then that's just kind of where I do like yearly recap photos in so that works out pretty nice cool so let's start on the photography side then if because I know photography is getting a lot bigger in the hunting community, especially in the waterfowl side of things. So if guys are wanting to go out and get started taking pictures out on hunts, how do you recommend them getting started? I recommend honestly just getting a camera, nothing crazy. I know, you know, if you watch the industry, you watch Instagram, I know you can see a lot of, um, you know, like Matt McCormick's, you know, uh, Doug Sankey's, things like that. Like they have crazy gear. They are phenomenal photographers, but they've also been doing it, you know, really long time, uh, like Wade and Joel, phenomenal photographers. And they have the top of the line gear, which going out and just starting, I, if you have, you know, the funds to do it, I'm not going to tell someone to not buy that quality of a camera because that's great. Um, but learn the fundamentals, get, you know, Canon and Nikon, they have some really good, just like starter camera packages now. Um, you know, I think they're just like the rebel TIs for Canon. I'm not even sure what they're called. Nikon. I shoot Canon. Um, just get like a starter kit and come with, get its base lens. Um, just get familiar with it. Learn what your camera was capable of. Cause the technology is increasing so much every year, every time they put out a new camera body, the capabilities, the low light capabilities are getting crazy with the new mirrorless bodies, which is great for especially like waterfowl hunting. Um, it gives you so much more capability. But like I said, those bodies can start at, you know, a couple grand. So I'm not going to tell someone just getting into it to go drop three grand on a starter body. Like that's not um, something I recommend, but get a starter body, start messing with the settings, start learning what they all mean. Because if you just look at the dial, you know, it can be a little overwhelming just getting into it, especially if you don't have a photography background. Um, YouTube's a great resource to just give quick tutorials on what each setting does and what the best setting would be for your situation. Um, I know a lot of, you know, us shoot manual mode, which means like we control everything that the camera does. Um, there's different modes that will help like your F-stop. So like your focal lengths, things like that, shutter speed. So how much light's coming in, those types of things. Um, just play around. Like I said, YouTube's a great resource. Get something just to get familiar with. And then once you feel comfortable with that camera body, my suggestion is before you start like getting crazy with the camera bodies, get a really good lens. The lens is ultimately what makes um, a really great picture. Cause if you have a really like just an amateur lens, um, the image quality won't be there. So get a lens that is like Canon's they're called like the L series. Um, they basically are the ones that have like the red line all around them. Uh, that's, that's what I recommend. Start small, get familiar with it, learn what it can do. And then, get good glass because if you don't have like a good lens, you could put an amateur lens on the best camera body and you're still going to take a good photo. Don't get me wrong. But if you get like the crisper lenses there, that's what really helps and makes the images. So that's what I recommend. Start small. Don't, you know, like I said, I know social media, everybody sees, right? Like the best of the best and everybody has all this gear and 
it's a lot of money hanging off of, you know, a lot of the waterfowl like industry pros. So I don't recommend going full out and spending seven grand to just have the same setup they do. Um, you can get a starter body. I think it's probably for under a thousand dollars just to learn and get familiar with it, learn what it can do and, and then start expanding from there. So I've also, I went hunting with a guy one time that he brought his camera and he was taking pictures and I saw some of them afterwards and they were really good. But I saw a lot of what he was doing, especially with the dogs was he was like getting down on the ground on their mm-hmm. level. And a lot of the pictures he was like below us. Is that, is there's like something to that or is that just something that he does or is it all kind Honestly, of Honestly, that's just something he does. That's, um, I don't want to say like his niche, but something that he probably likes to do. I am normally for any of my photo sessions, if it's waterfowl stuff, you know, hunting, I always get in like, even my portrait photography, I'm in weird places. Like I lay on the ground, I climb over a fence and I'm like dangling there to do something. It's just what he wants to do to capture, especially like with a dog, he's getting down on the level of the dog. So it's really making you feel like what's going on in the surroundings. So, you know, if the dog's running back with a bird, things like that, like you're on its level versus if you would have been higher shooting down on it, it wouldn't give the same like emotional connection to that image. So that's what he's doing. Um, It's a great rule of thumb. Like if you can be on the plane of your subject, like get there. Um, Especially, you know, if there's a dog or if you're in like a ground blind or something and you're watching like the birds come in, if you're taking images of them straight over your head, it's not going to give the same type of effect as if like they're locked up coming in in front of you and you're on that same plane with them. Um, So that's, you know, it's just different techniques, different things to try to convey the emotion of what's going on. Um, Like I said, I normally end up in like weird positions laying on the ground, like sideways taking things because that's just, what I don't want to say what photographers do, right? But what we are trying to do to convey the image. Um, I normally end up in briar bushes during deer season, like trying to take pictures of, you know, when we walk up to them, how they're laying and you don't want to move them. You don't want to like disturb because you want to capture that image. And I'm always in like a briar bush and like my husband's just kind of looking at me like, are you good? And I'm like, yep, nope, it's fine. And I'm like trying to keep it out of the way while I'm trying to like compose what I want of him, like walking up to the buck and that kind of stuff. So it's just... It's just ways to convey the emotion. And that's what good photographers really want to do is put the viewer of the image, like making them feel like they're there, know exactly what's going on um, and have that feeling and that emotion. So that's one way we like to do it. Like another thing I love in like my images, if I can create like some type of foreground, um, I like that's just like something that I really like doing. And I know there's a couple others that do it too. We always want to have like, a framing of our subject. So we'll kind of like have something in the foreground kind of blurred out and our subjects, you know, in focus and whatever's going on in the background, just because it creates depth in the image. It creates you like, like you're watching a movie, like you're watching something on video, like you're there. Um, Just different techniques that, like I said, we've learned, we've come up with that. We're like, Hey, this is how we really like to convey what we're capturing. Um, So that's like a couple that I like to do too. So yeah, totally. I'm always on the ground in weird things. So totally so, that guy's doing the right thing. <laughs> so what I have the most trouble with is I have a black lab. And whenever I get try to get a picture of his face, all it looks like is just like it's black. black face. But then like I see pictures that people taking, like you can see their full muzzle and like the eyes and the depth in them and everything. How, I guess, how would you go about 
getting a better picture of a black lab. A black lab. So yeah, they, uh, they tend to convey um, all shadows. <laughs> um, so this is one of like the unglamorous parts of Instagram because no, you see all those really cool photos, right? Of the labs and the reflections in the eyes and all that other kind of stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, I want to go out and do that. That is way harder than you actually think. Um, a, because it's a black lab and you're so, your subject is literally dark. So they're absorbing all of the light into their fur because they're black. Um, if you have time and actually want to like compose a portrait of your lab, you have to face him toward the light. So find like your, where the light's coming from instead of having it behind him. So he's actually looking into the light that'll help light up his eyes. Um, and then probably most of it's done in post-processing, honestly, which you'll never know just looking at the photo on Instagram. Um, Lightroom is phenomenal. And especially with, like I said, some of the bit better camera bodies, like you can pull out the shadows so well with what the digitals are capable of and the mirrorless are even better. Um, they convey and capture blue light shadows so well. So if you're just trying to get a really good photo of a black lab and it's not necessarily in a hunting scene, because obviously we cannot control which way he's coming from with like a bird, right? Like he, you can't be like, Oh no, come from, you know, this way. So you're running into the sun. Like that doesn't happen. Um, it might, but it's obviously not as in the moment and everything like that. So, if you're just trying to capture it, just trying to take a good picture of him sitting there and trying to, you know, do that, have the subject face the light at all times. Now, like I said, hunting, you're at the mercy for all of the hunting elements, right? Like when we're setting spreads in the morning, I joke with the guys, like there was a time um, this year in New York, we were setting up on the lake to hunt. I'm like, oh, that'd be really cool if I could like have you guys like setting up in the sunset would be like perfectly behind you guys, you know, coming up. Sunset was, you know, be- because of the things um did I try to do it and I like made them all go back out and I like panned really hard to the left and I got some sun sunrise and stuff but yes um us photographers like we take we get greedy and want like those types of things like, oh that's really, really cool but if you're trying to do that kind of stuff um a lot of it's probably done in post so if you have Lightroom bring the image in the Lightroom and um edit it that way and you can actually do like the newer versions have a mask. So you can put like masks over his eyes and like bring those out too. Um, that's what I do. Like I have a, I have a Husky who has two colored eyes and his face is black. So like you can always see his blue eye, but like his brown eye just doesn't exist on that side of his face. Um, so post-processing, I just edit and make his eye a little bit brighter. So it doesn't look like he's not missing a face. So is Lightroom what you use for all of your editing or I guess, if people want to start doing it, what, what kind of editing programs should they get? Lightroom and Photoshop are my top two. Um, and honestly, I do the bulk of it in Lightroom. Um, there's different programs. If, you know, they you start doing like photography full-time and things, there's different programs that people recommend to like edit down your images. So that way you're not going through, you know, like let's say you hunt it all day. You have like a thousand images to go through. Um, there's different like software like photo mechanics one to like bring the photos into call them down is what we call it kind of go through pick which ones you're going to want to edit and then like upload into right lightroom and then go from there um for just like getting started don't worry about spending money on additional programs i you can do it all in lightroom i just know there's faster ways you know like i said with other stuff software that's meant for that but lightroom and photoshop and lightroom has 
created so many new tools. Um, they've honestly leaps and bounds. I barely use Photoshop anymore. Um, Adobe, where all the software is kind of from, right? Like they're the creators of it. Um, they have a subscription that you can get. It's like 10 bucks a month. Um, just like to have the programs and things like that. So that's what I use Lightroom Photoshop. Photoshop more for if I have to do any like crazy photo compiling, um, photo merges, those types of things. Lightroom's just, I just, you can do it. I've seen people do it just for me. I'm just way more comfortable with just pulling those images into Photoshop. Um, not so much with like my hunting stuff, but like if I'm doing like a family portrait or something at someone's wedding and Aunt Susie decides to blink and that's the only image that like the little cousin's in that he's actually looking and smiling and not throwing a temper tantrum. I just take those two images, throw them into Photoshop and like do some face swapping real quick and no one will ever know the difference. Um, but for most of my outdoor stuff, no, it's strictly Lightroom. I can import, I can do everything in there. Lightroom is awesome. It can create your own presets. So if you have like a certain look that you want your photos to have, um, some people are really into like more of an HD type feel, um, vibrant colors. Mine are more like a little bit muted, um, more contrasty, more moody. So you can create these different profiles in there that you can just, it's like one click edits, we call them. And it's like, you can apply your presets to all of your images and then just go through and kind of tweak. And you're not spending, you know, hours and hours behind a computer going through images and things like that. So those two are the workhorses for all things photo, photo things, especially for people getting involved. I go Lightroom way above, you know, Photoshop, just personal preference. I know there's other people that will do all Photoshop, but I've just, I just clean Whatever you like and use. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Personal preferences. So when we're out there and the guy at the camera is clicking away and he takes 500 pictures in a day, how do you go through and pick, I mean, which one you're going to use? Because, I mean, some of them I've seen where, like, you'll show us on the camera, one compared to the next one looks exactly the same to me. But I guess, mm -hmm. like, how do, you, how do you choose between them? How do you choose? Um, we, it's... Depending on, so when he's, you know, when you just hear photographers out there and all you hear is like the shutter just firing, um, we have, it's called like high, high priority mode. And it's like, we're getting off as many images as we can, as fast as we can. Normally, if there's like fast moving things, so right, is the dog running back with the bird or is there like birds coming in and the guys are about to shoot? Like those are prime, like we're just holding the button and, and firing images off, um, to edit those down, I know me personally, I look for a couple different things like what, you know, did my focus stay true the entire time? Like did, or did it, you know, if there's a flock of birds coming in, did it stay on the bird that I wanted it? Or did it like go to another bird? And now the bird maybe in the back is the one in focus and not the one in the front. I don't want to use that image then, you know, I was going for the one in the front. So that's a factor that plays into it. Um, normally in those situations, like I said, there's a lot of things going on. So like motion, so did something get blurred that you can't really see on the back of the screen um, because, you know, the dog's running, you know, is the shutter speed, right? That he's in focus or, you know, did he decide to like start shaking his head and then the duck or goose or whatever is looks like a blurred, you know, blob. Um, 
all those things are things that we look at to see which image we're actually going to pick out of that sequence of images. So, you know, we could fire off 20 images, you know, really fast and may only like two of them um, just because of like what's in focus, you know, especially, you know, if the dog's carrying a bird back, like is the bird like looks okay, you know, is there like some weird wing or neck like doing something funny that we don't want to use? Um, just little factors like that. Um, I have a problem with calling images. I tend to save more than I probably should because I'm like so indecisive and I never know if I like it enough or not. Um, so after I'm done and I'm editing and I airdrop all the images to the guys, I'm like, yeah, sorry, that's going to be a lot like because I just can't fully decide on some things. Um, but I'm also the type of person like, hey, everybody was on the hunt. I'll edit. I do all that stuff. And then I send them all the images and they can delete what they like because I was like, Hey, I edited this, whichever one do you like, you can post what, you know, whatever. Um, which everything, you know, like I said, everybody has preferences, but that's some of the main things that we look for when like those things are happening, focus, you know, motion blur, those types of things. So, but then that comes to personal preference. Some people like one thing over the other. So so I'm very, very, very novice on the photography <laughs> side of things. I guess, is there any, I guess, like info or tricks and tips or anything you could give out that we haven't talked about about it? Uh, tips and tricks would be learn what the modes do. So like YouTube's a really great resource. Like I said, um, there's different modes for different settings. So to get started, um, there, let me look at my actual camera here, right? So like visual aid. So on the screen itself, there's like an, uh, on the dial, I should say manual, AV, TV, and P. So the photographers, we joke, P is for professional. Um, that's basically like a full auto mode, uh, for your camera. Like you put it in P for professional, the camera will do what it knows how to do and kind of just meter the whole image, whatever you have in the viewfinder, take the image based on that. Um, you're not really controlling anything. The AV and TV, so those are different in just the fact of what you control. So AV is what's called aperture priority. So basically your focal length. So when you hear people talking about like your F-stop, like what F-stop are you at? Um, the higher the F-stop, the smaller your aperture actually opens. Um, yeah, did I say that right? I always say it wrong. And then the molar, higher the f-stop, the more things will be in focus. So like if you're at f22, that's really great for like landscape photography because you're trying to get like the whole mountainside, that kind of stuff in focus. Um, if you're down at like f2.8, you're trying to, that's where you see like the subject in focus and everything else behind is kind of blurred. Um, those are what you can control with that. So if you're on that mode, you are actually controlling that part, like your focal, um, your focal point of your image. And that also helps pull in the light. So the lower the f-stop, so like the 2.8s um, and below, you can pull in a lot more with that image as far as like capturing in low light situations. So like when we're out waterfowl hunting or um, I'm always 2.8 and lower, depending on which lens I have on. Um, which is why I said like in the beginning, good glass will help because your starter lenses, they normally bounce around f4, 5.6. So you can't really capture 
as but um as much into those low light scenarios um whereas like your 2.8s and below you can really utilize those situations as um to your advantage so like I have that lens on that camera was a 70 to 200. That's their L series. That's a 2.8. Um, I have the 24 to 70 L series. That's also a 2.8. So those are normally what I run. Um, I also have some fixed lenses. So I have like a fixed 50 and a fixed 35. Um, that just means we can't zoom with them. It's just, that's the fixed focal length, but their F stops go lower. So I can go down to like 1.2 with both of those. So I can really blur out whatever I want and really utilize it, um, in low lights. So that's what like AV mode is. So you're the one controlling that part of your camera. And then your camera is just going to compensate for whatever shutter speed it thinks it needs. Um, and then TV, that's the opposite. That's where you're controlling the shutter speed of your camera and the aperture will be controlled by the camera itself. So if you're trying to capture like motion, so birds coming in, dogs running, you want like a higher, um, shutter speed. So they're not like this blurred blob of, you know, like you see the traffic lights and things where just like this long line of cars and stuff like that. Um, or lights, I should say, that's what we call like dragging the shutter in the photography world. So they're letting the shutter stay open longer to capture those streaks. So when you're trying to capture something that's like moving fast, like the dogs, the birds, or if you're capturing like race cars and things like that, you want a high shutter speed. So that way your subject's in focus. Um, shutter speed. Yeah. So to make sure it's crisp, like you don't want to drop below, like depending on how fast your subject's moving, like 200. Um, so then, like I said, your camera's going to compensate for the aperture part of it. Um, but depending on like, especially the situations you could be trying to capture birds coming in really fast, but it's low light. So it's going to like get kind of a little wonky sometimes just because of you're only picking one aspect of the camera to use. Um, that's why practice, practice, get into manual mode. So that way you can actually control both of those in the manual mode. So the M and then you'll be able to say like, no, I know like I'm in this low light situation. I want this for like my focal length. I need this for my shutter speed to capture what I'm about to do. Um, and then your ISO really helps too. So that's another setting that depending on what camera body you have, um, some, like I said, the newer ones, the mirrorless are phenomenal in low light. So you can jack up your ISO as high as you want and you're not going to see like that grainy that grain in the shadows and those types of things that's reminiscent of like old school film days where it's like Ooh, what happened there um that's why your iso just can't compensate for the amount of light like you're trying to pull in um on a good day you know keep your iso depending on the situation um anywhere from two to like 800 if it's bright out like you don't need it high at all if it's super bright lower ISO because you don't, you can balance out everything else. Um, lower light, you know, you jack it up to help compensate. Um, so all those three things kind of work together to help you compose the image you're looking for. Um, so like, for instance, I'm trying to think of one, like that sunrise one I was talking about, like my ISO was probably around like 6,000. Um, but I kept a, sh a low shutter speed. So I think for that, because I had the guys out in the decoys, I was probably at two. And then shutter speed was, I want to say like 100. 
just to be able to capture the sun sunrise, not have that blown out and have like bright, right? Like things going on behind me, but also be able to see the details in the shadows because they all have like their headlamps on and everything like that, focusing on stuff. Um, and it's just, like I said, practice, learn what your camera can do and how you can kind of use it to your advantage. Um, get out of those, we say, like I said, the P for professional modes, because that kind of, I mean, the cameras are great. They will take good images, you know, without you overriding them. But um, once you start figuring out what, how all the settings work together, um, you can capture some really cool stuff. Cool. So to recap the camera side of things, get like a starter camera, like a Canon Rebel, mm -hmm. and then uh, just start messing with it, go on YouTube and figure out what doing what does to it. Yeah. And honestly, there's, you know, a lot of people out in the industry too. Like if you ask, you know, like I know um, Joel and things, and there's a couple outdoor photographers. Um, I can't remember his last name, but his first name is Mark. Like they will post when they share their Instagram images, like they'll have their image. And then if you swipe their next images is exactly their camera settings. And they will say, you know, they'll have it because it's a feature that you can export out of Lightroom, what your camera settings were for that image. Um, so you social media, you know, ask, ask the professionals, ask, you know, there's a lot who will help and just say like, oh yeah, try this. Or, you know, um, look through their pages because like I said, there's a lot of them that actually will say exactly what their settings were. Um, I know. And that's what I did at first too. You know, I was trying to figure out like, oh geez, how did they do that? And then you just kind of look at the settings and then you're like, oh yeah. And so then, you know, like next time when you go out to have that situation, you're like, oh yeah, I want to try this and see how it works. And then you can just tweak it for your own personal preferences. Cool. So that's a little trick too. All right. So you said you got started hunting with your uh, husband like 10 years ago. Yeah. Was the first things that you went after was waterfowl? Yeah. So the first thing that I um, went went on would have been like a waterfowl hunt uh, was just like this random farm field. And I started taking photos, like I said, and then I was, we kind of started introducing so then we went and got I didn't have anything um like myself a shotgun and all that to work through that and then was it that next season um I shot my first deer so we went and I shot a doe um that year with him and yeah then after that I picked up archery and kind of been expanding ever since cool so I guess, what do you like to do more, waterfowl or deer? Um, I mean, there's perks to both, right? Like, I really like the peace and quiet of archery season and just sitting there and just watching the deer come in and just un the undisturbed part of it. Rifle season, I don't like. Uh, just obviously, by that time, they're just all <laughs> just you know, they're on edge. So archery season's definitely more of a favorite for me um, as far as whitetail goes. And then if I had to pick, honestly, like I love waterfowl hunting just because it's more interactive. Like it's great. You know, we can start taking our daughter, like I said, and she can interact and we don't have to worry about don't move. You have to sit there and you have to be quiet. Like she's been out on two deer hunts now and we harvested doe with her. 
Um, last year was her first year with just my husband. And then this year we both, we all went, we all tried to cram into a tree stand and tried to, you know, get her to sit and be quiet. And, um, it's obviously, you know, hard for a six-year-old to sit and not really talk. And you have to bring, you know, you bring all the snacks and everything like that to kind of keep them, keep them entertained. So waterfowl hunting, just for the camaraderie and just, you know, if it's a slow day, you're still having fun because you're just sitting there, you're just BSing with the guys and you're, you know, bantering back and forth and just having good conversations and um, just building that amongst yourselves, your friends, your family. But, you know, deer hunting, it's, you, you don't move, right? Like it's all, it's all you, which, you know, there's perks to both, but I'm definitely more, if I could waterfowl hunt all year, definitely. That's way more uh, up my alley. <laughs> So did you feel, I guess, like any intimidation at all about getting into it, I guess, either gun-wise or bow-wise? Yes and no. I think when I started getting into it, you know, a lot of, uh, like my husband has been doing it his entire life. You know, a lot of our, our friends did it their entire lives. So there's there was definitely like a, okay, like I need to get my shit together um, because they all know what they're doing. And here I am like the novice trying to, I'm asking the questions and, um, trying to figure it out. But I mean, they were all great with, you know, at me asking questions or just kind of guiding me along the way. Like, Hey, this is what happens, you know, in these types of situations, like, Hey, we're going to put you over here, you know, on this side of the spread for this. And, um, they were great explaining all that to me. You know, I never really felt intimidated, intimidated because, the group of guys we have is great. Um, and we have a great group of friends. Um, you know, is there always that, you know, you want to do good and you don't want to like screw up and, um, cause you know, if you, you miss, right. The guys are going to get on you and it's going to be the the chuckle of the day. Cause you just whiffed. But, um, you know, we do that, you know, with it's, um, it's fun. It's, uh, it definitely wasn't as intimidating as I think some females might, you know, feel when they get into it. Um, I was pretty fortunate, like I said, with how my husband and how, you know, well, our friends, you know, welcomed me into the, you know, into the circle. And now just, I'm one of the guys, like, it's not like, um, the whole, like, oh, female, like male, like, no, I'm just, I'm just one of the guys. So if they're giving it to them, they're, giving the same trash talk to me too. Um, so it, uh, it's, it's good. It's fun. It's, um, you learn to have a thick skin a little bit, but, uh, that's just how the, the group of guys we are, you know, that's, we like to joke and we like to pick fun at each other. And it's, um, I don't want to be the one that whiffs though, if someone's trying to like make a video, uh, cause I won't hear, I will hear about it for, for a little bit, but it's, a. Uh, it's all good. It's all in good fun. You know, you do too seriously. Um, you know, it's going to happen to someone else literally in two days anyway. So it's a, it's a, it's a good time. Um, and that's what we want to definitely make sure like our daughter, you know, feels like when we're starting to take her out, if she's not having fun, if she's not enjoying it, well then, you know, we're not going to push it on her. You know, we want it to be a fun experience for her. We don't want it to just be because we're doing it and like she has to do it. Um, you know, we want her to want to go and all the times that she's gone, she says she's wanted to go. Obviously, once we get there, the six year old patients kind of can go. And if it's a slow day, right, like there's definitely that, hey, can I, when are we going? When are we leaving? It's like, uh, we just got here. So you're going to have to, you know, 
hold out for a little bit, but, um, so far, you know, it's all pretty good. It's, it's fun. You know, I don't want her to feel intimidated at all by, you know, the world of hunting and being around like the guys and things. So I want to show her like, Hey, I'm out doing it too. Like, if you want to do it, you can do it. You know, don't just because there's going to be more guys than girls. Don't worry about that. You know, you can, she can hold her own. Wow. And if you're with a group of guys that you were feeling like you weren't welcomed or anything, that's not a group of people you want to be around anyways. So. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the things um, that I tell, you know, if people like, Hey, how did you get into hunting? I'm, you know, trying to, like, I want to start, but I don't know where to go. I'm a female, you know, I'm a girl, like what, what should I do? You know, I say, find some people that, you know, you're confident with and you can trust, you know, going into that. Cause you don't want to just randomly, you know, be put into bad situations or have someone who's just going to negatively like knock you for trying something and wanting to get out and wanting to get involved. So I, like I said, I was really blessed with, um, with the group of guys that we have and they're, they're fun to be around. Um, sometimes we pay, make a little too much fun, but it's, uh, it's all good. Okay. So last lady I had on the show, I struck out on this question, but it's a lot more common in women than it is men to where like, you'll be right hand dominant, but left eye dominant. Is that something that you are? Yeah. So I'm actually ambidextrous. Um, I'm super special, right? So I am, I write with my left hand, but can write with my right. Um, but I'm, I'm left, I'm right eyed. Okay. So I, it's so weird. Um, God bless my husband when he was trying to figure out what I do and how I do it. Um, because half the things I do, I do left-handed half the things I do, I do right-handed. And he's like, what are you? He's like, I don't even know. Um, so I remember when we were trying to figure, you know, make sure, you know, we were setting everything up and getting the right stuff. Like, wait, you're right eyed. Like, how does that make any sense? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but that's even I use for my camera. So yeah, definitely um tricky. <laughs> um, and there's definitely moments where um I wish because I'm left-handed with a lot of like things too. Like I wish like the bolt and everything was on the left side, but obviously then I'd be needing like a left-handed gun and I'm not left eyed at all. Cause like that would freak me out. So it's weird. So he was very gracious and he still, you know, they still kind of like a little make fun of me here and there when they're like, I'm like, oh, I wish it'd be on the other side, you know, just like to release the shells and things like that. Cause I have to, you know, like I'll use my right hand. Um, but I really just want to use my left. Um, just cause that's my left hand. Like that's my pure dominant hand, but I'm right eyed. So I shoot, right-handed shotgun bow um i yeah i'm one of the special ones so it's uh i don't want to say a privilege and a curse but like my husband took it with a grain of salt when we were trying to figure out what setups i needed <laughs> yeah see that's what i was going to ask because that's always i've always wondered that like archery wise if you're right hand dominant but left eye dominant if you're starting out if you just make yourself do it left-handed or i guess how that would even work but yeah, I just, uh, we just kind of, I don't want to say force myself to do it right handed. Um, so it was like, okay, well, if I'm, you know, I shoot like my camera right eye, he's like, you got to figure it out. So that's kind of now, you know, looking back, like, I don't think I would like doing it left handed. Um, so I'm 
I'm all like right-handed, but like I said, definitely some of the things just because of like my left hand being my dominant side, I really wish I could do a little bit, I don't say easier, but you know, when everybody's like racking out shells super fast because it's like, that's on their side. Like I can't do it as fast and everything kind of like go slower just because like my right hand doesn't do it as fast as my left would. But so, I mean, a lot of them probably grew up doing it too. So they've got two decades of practice on you. Yeah, no, I've gotten faster, but it's just like my left hand wants to be the main hand doing and it's not, you know, it's just your right hand. So uh, I definitely drop more shells on the ground. I can just pick them up as long as we're not over water. <laughs> yeah. So are you guys planning on uh, going west at all, doing any big game over this way, a waterfowl this way? So we talked about it. Uh, we did an elk do-it-yourself elk hunt. It would have been 2020. Um, unfortunately, that was the year of all of the huge Colorado wildfires. So he had put in for a tag for three years. I can remember correctly um, to get one unit to only have that unit completely be engulfed in flames. And we couldn't go there, um, but we still wanted to go. We had everything. <clears throat> Our buddy lives out in Colorado. So we kind of pivoted and then went down South and um, the Southern part of the state and did like an over the counter tag and had opportunities. Um, we were within 30 yards of a ginormous um six by six it it was just in thick stuff couldn't you know couldn't get a shot off on him he was with some cows the cow the cow's the one who busted us um he didn't even know we were there so it was definitely a fun experience so that was like a week we're out there for a little over a week um he's actually planning on going out to montana to do like an elk and mule deer uh, hunt with like his dad so they're going to do some father-son stuff uh in 2024 um so they have that coming up uh would we like to get back out and do some things yeah absolutely um we're going to get that one out of the way before we start planning anything waterfowl wise i just really want to go to utah and go to the salt flats um that's just like something that i really want to experience um maybe because it just looks beautiful on top of it too and i want to um experience that as well as the waterfowl um we you know we'll see what happens you know we are very much we have all the gear um so we're anywhere that we can kind of even trade hunts or you know do things like that we're we're gonna explore those types of avenues just because we have all the gear you know it's if we can make like a trip and do it and um just to say that we're doing it ourselves is pretty cool. So that's something that uh, we, we take pride in um, just because he's been doing it enough. Like we've been around it enough, you know, we scout, we'll, you know, do a lot of on X scouting, you know, him um, between like my husband and some of the guys, like they are constantly trying to look for stuff and finding things. And that's honestly how we started going up to New York. Uh, we have a couple friends up there who are like, Oh yeah, always come up and hunt with us. But you know, like you never want to overstay welcome and that kind of thing. And we're like, yeah, you know, like, thanks. Like we'll do it. And we've done it and it's a great time up there, but some of it's just, it just feels really good to be able to say like you did it yourself. So um, that's what we kind of started. They started doing, we looked on on X, we found some spots and we're like, Hey, let's go. Let's just go see what happens. You know, it's, can't we can't fail that bad you know we know what we're doing we just have to find the right spots and put us you know in those situations and now we've been doing that for seven years eight years um 
And, you know, we're constantly trying to find things. We might, you know, start looking at more of the Great Lakes, like Michigan, New Jersey, um, just to kind of get out and just see some different stuff and shoot some different birds. Yeah, you guys should uh, check out uh, duckseason.com, D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. And it's kind of like a big forum and community um, hunt trade site. Pretty much you put on there what you have to offer for trade and hunt and then other people do too. And you can email them and get stuff lined up. It's kind of exactly what that was built for. So, well, I mean, I think that's something great about the outdoor community. And it's like, there's people out there trying, you know, willing to help and willing to trade things and you know, why I'm not, you know, don't knock an outfitter at all because you know, they're doing it to put people on birds too. But you know, if you can make some friends and um, along the way, you know, that's ultimately how you know how we started going up to new york like our friends guide you know they're but we met them and we became friends with them and you know we didn't want to like i said overstay their hospitality or anything like that and not like we didn't you know he's always you know they were always like oh come up like i won't charge you guys you know those types of things but it's like you don't want to be that then it's like you're taking them away from making some money and that kind of stuff and it's like no like we can figure it out we can do it ourselves um so yeah i think that's great when how the water, especially the waterfowl community, we're, you know, they're way more open to doing that kind of stuff than like whitetail hunters. Like, you know, no one's going to say like, oh, hey, let's trade deer spots. That's not a, that's not, not something. quite a thing. <laughs> no. So uh, what do you like going after more ducks or geese? Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I, there's nothing better than shooting geese coming in your spread at 20 yards like that is just so cool to experience um unfortunately we haven't experienced it really recently just because of the bird limits um where we're at you know the bird limit dropped to one um so it's a kind of a damper um so unless we kind of find like a field with ducks and geese we're not really setting up our goose spread because we have like over 300 full bodies and stuff. So we're not really targeting geese as much as we used to. Um, I loved lying there, sitting, shooting geese at a field. I do like ducks um, just because of how fast and like action packed they are. Um, Sea ducks are really fun just because like you always have to be on your toes and everything can change in a split second out there on the lake. Uh, Scoters are fun. If I had to pick, like, I think shooting scoters out of a layout on the lake or is probably one of the top things. And that's on my bucket they, list. I want to do that. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's the equivalent to a goose in the middle of a lake. So it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, when they do it right and they come up the stringers and they're just blocked up at 20 yards, it's so cool. Um, so that's one of like my, our favorite like remedy um hunts are we normally always talk about the scoters like divers are fun um old swan stuff is fun but when we're like oh yeah remember when that flock of scoters did this and you know we dropped all of them but one or like oh yeah remember when these two came in it was like me and my buddy matt and we're like we pillowcased them like it's always about the scoters so uh you prefer uh dry land or water more i do i like i like being out on the water i mean it's it's a whole nother element. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have to worry about if you'd be in a field um, or, you know, in like flooded timber or anything like that. You know, it's 
when you're out on a big body of water, so much can change. Weather can change, wind direction can change, and you can be in a really bad situation really fast. Um, but it's just something about being out there and just where we like to hunt, you know, out on Ontario, it's like, we can get out there pretty far and it's, you just lay there and you're just kind of like one with the waves and you're just kind of like laying in the layout and watching the birds. And, you know, if they're flying right and they're flying low to the water, you can see them. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And then because they're behind a wave and the next thing you know, they're like on top of you because the wave dropped and here they are. So it's, um, when it's, when it's a good day on the lake, it's, it's really fun. Are you uh 12 or 20 gauge? 12. 12. Okay. Um, me and my husband shoot 12s and then our friends, um, they started bringing 20 gauges and for a while our one friend just wanted to bring it and we called it the, the 20 gauge curse. Cause every time he brought this gun, we, it was just a, a bad day. we kind of started joking with him, like, stop bringing it. Like every guns in the boat, it's, it's horrible. Like you're not allowed to bring it anymore. Um, and then we finally had a good day with it. So now two of our guys, they'd like to bring out their 20 gauges, but I shoot 12s. Do you guys do any, uh, I guess, upland over there at all? Or do you guys have much? There is, uh, we have where we're at. Um, there's some like state parks and everything that they'll stock. Um, we just tend to not really do it. Um, just cause around here. So Pennsylvania started doing, if you want to do upland, uh, you have to get like a pheasant permit on top of your hunting license because of like going to stocking the birds. And then honestly, like there's just a lot of people because they're stocked around here. Um, they literally just follow the game commission trucks and watch where they're going to pull in and they just, they just wait. Um, so then you feel really bad for the guys who have dogs and, you know, want to go out and want their dogs to work when it's like, these guys are literally just shooting the birds. And they're not smart enough to know any different. And they just kind of, yeah. So we just kind of don't really do it. You know, we have to do it. Um, my husband joked that he's like, I just bought, because he did. He spent like a, a nice amount of money. He got me this really nice, like upland hunting gear set. And I haven't worn it since because we like went and we're like, oh yeah, let's start doing this. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of like, you know, I, you don't want to shoot like something that doesn't even flare, you know, it just like walks away from you because. So we just, yeah, we haven't really gone. We don't really, um, the areas are here too. We just, it's not something we really kind of spend our time in. Well, you have to bring your stuff whenever you go out West next time. Yeah. I've seen like, so there's some cool stuff out West, so he'll have to, I'll have to see what happens. <laughs> the gear tax on fast when you have to like pack for a week and then all your stuff and making room in the truck. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's not about. I always <laughs> find that like when we go on our snow goose hunt, we end up packing a whole pickup bed full of stuff. And then we get there and we realize we only use just a little portion of the stuff that was in the cab, but never figure it, it out. Never, It's never a bad thing to be overprepared, but it's uh, when you have, you know, when you do trips like that, it doesn't take long to fill up a truck. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I guess. How, do, how does your deer hunting work there? Is everything pretty private you guys just have little sections no actually so pennsylvania has a lot of public land um we're probably one of the top states for like public land um but i think we also have i don't know if pa is the top or one of the top for hunter per um acreage ratio so i know there's there's a lot of public land um deer hunters um like i said it's the same state parks that 
dock and stuff for Upland that a lot of people go to. Um, we don't have, we have some land uh, that's been in his family for, for years that we maintenance um we take care of i think there's like 17 food plots on it now so that's where we do all of our whitetail hunting um but for the rest of the state it it, a majority of it is public um there are some really good areas in those state forests um a lot of people kind of just stay closer to you know the parking lots like right off the road you know you'll see all the trucks and stuff lined up along roads for the first day of people out in there and that kind of stuff. Um, and people do it. People shoot really nice bucks on all of the state lands. Um, we just don't, you know, we have the private land, so we don't really go out there much, but, um, there's some really hard access areas too that, uh, don't get hit as hard that they hold some really nice bucks. So the, yeah, the deer's there. Yeah. We have the whole three point, um, have to have three on one side, um rule here so we can if they make it you know we pa can put out some really nice deer uh and we try to do that on our land you know we're not shooting one two-year-olds we try to um target bigger ones and stuff like that but yeah that's kind of we don't have to do public so um uh, i consider it a blessing when we go past the state parks and see, you know, 50 cars lined up along the road and the parking lots are full. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know I, I'm glad that PA has those resources for people who don't have, you know, private land and things like that. But in the same sense, I'm like, I also don't know if I trust everybody's like identifying skills and there's that many rifles in the woods. (laughs) So yeah, it's a, it's a little, it can be a little crazy. Um, we joke, we can, if we have, if we tag out an archery, um, is where our land is and where our house is, is kind of like in between where we hunt in the public land and we can hear, uh, shots being fired and we're like, Oh, yep. First days. Calvary's here. <laughs> if, uh, people want to check you out on Instagram or get hold of you photography or anything, how would they do that? Yeah. So my Instagram, um, just my name, Heidi underscore 614. So that's, uh, all my waterfowl stuff. Um, anybody, all my outdoor things you can see on there. Um, I also have like a wedding photography page, but I'm sure most people probably won't really care too much about weddings. Um, but yeah, Heidi 614, that's my Instagram. Um, I also have a TikTok, which is just Heidi Swanger. And that's where I share all my images on there as well. Um, but yeah, those are the two main sources. So if anyone has any questions or wants some tips or anything like that, um, feel free to send me a message. Um, always looking to capture some more stuff and um, I'm excited to keep building and see what uh, what outfitters I'm going to end up working with. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks a ton for uh, coming on, waking up early and doing this. Absolutely. But, uh, there for yeah. you than it is. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good day and we'll uh, talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Garrett. Yep. Bye.